Manx Radio Podcasts, powered by Shaw. Hello and welcome to the Women's Day Podcast, where we bring you some of the highlights from the past five days. And this week, we've learned all about interior design, discussed the worrying increase of violent parents at children's football matches, and asked, do you or don't you? when it comes to dunking your biscuits. But first, one of our studio guests was a woman who's been awarded the title of living master in her field. She was the artist Svetlana Cameron. Here's a question then. What is art to you? Oh, to me, to me it's it's so many things to me. It's uh it's it's a passion, it's a job. It's a, it's it's uh something that occupies my whole life and it's with me 24/7 and uh uh, I paint because I can not not paint, you know. Uh, can, what what uh, cannot not paint? Yeah, is that the way to say? Yes, it's um, it's my life. That's that's the short question, short answer to your question. Yeah, you are dedicated to the revival of traditional fine art. Why is that? I think it's probably down to to my personality and probably my background as well. I. I grew up um, um, looking at traditional art, and and um, I didn't really have any exposure to the the modern contemporary art until I arrived to London. I think because in Russia, I, well, in my childhood, I wasn't that interested in art, to be honest. But what, what whatever art I saw was traditional, um, and uh, then I, I had. Um, training in Florence and we had lectures in Uffizi galleries and we were surrounded by Medici chapels and it was all about traditional Renaissance art uh, and I, I do love it and appreciate it and also traditional art is uh, in my view is um, um, better I can say yes I, I know I may get into trouble <laughs> saying that but it, it's my personal view because it's it's clear it's it's understandable you can have you can apply certain criteria to evaluate works of art you know you analyze the craft side of of it you 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 analyze the artist's um skill in uh, um, developing a, sen- a sensible balanced composition you you can see how they have mastered the drawing skills how they can um um draw perspective how they can draw uh, people um, uh, so, so that all can be analyzed and you can say yes this artist is good and this artist has room to grow you know while with modern art is, is a bit arbitrary and random and because I cannot I, I don't understand how to judge it I don't uh, you know uh, I don't really relate it and some people say to me why judge just let it be and, and I agree with that I, I'm for freedom I'm not saying that art should not exist and people are very free to do what they want and i i do watch contemporary art with interest i um find it very curious but it's something that i cannot talk about with authority and confidence because you know i i (laughs) this is not my sphere but i guess people would say that any art regardless of, of of how it's done is just a form of expression and and surely part of that is just appreciating that notion without necessarily always having to understand what's behind it. Yes, absolutely. I, I agree with that. Uh, but but um, when you start analysing it and, and uh, you say, what, what what style do you work in? What what, what uh, But aren't you looking at it from an artist's point of view? I am then? looking at it from an artist's point of view. Uh, I Yes, I 
I'm um, I'm a traditionalist. I like everything traditional. Uh, so as I say, it's down to my nature. And traditionally, art was defined as um, good art was supposed to have three main components. It, it's um, um, solid craftsmanship, idea, and aesthetic beauty. That were the three traditional aspects of art in the past. And um, so I, um, I very much like that, all that. Uh, so I, in, when I create my art, I, I start with the composition and um, aesthetic beauty is a very important aspect of my art. Um, and um, it has to have some idea. Well, m probably with portraiture is not so clear. Port the idea of portraiture is to celebrate a person, a human being. But in other forms of art, it, it, it does express some idea. So if you take away the craftsmanship and you left just with the idea, like a lot of conceptual art and installation and found object is, 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 is very interesting, but you have taken one of the main uh, parts of the definitions of art. So it, I would call it a philosophy with creative element. It's a very interesting uh, activity, but uh, should it be called art? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> You've done um, several portraits of very, very notable people, thinking about the uh, speakers of the Isle of Man. Um, they are included in the UK National Collection of Oil Paintings. They're also featured on the BBC Your Paintings website. Which so is now called Art UK. They changed the name the day before yesterday. Yes. So <laughs> well, we can update that. It's featured on Art UK. Nobody knows about it yet because it's really so recent. It's it, very fresh change. Yeah. So you do have that critical acclaim worldwide. How important is it for you, given what you were saying about modern art and and your need to sort of understand it? How important is it for you to people for people to like your work? It is very important for artists to, for, to, to know that people like their work and uh, those artists who say that they don't care and they only do it for themselves, for their own pleasure and they, they, they couldn't care less, they're, they're not honest. Everybody wants to be appreciated, everybody wants people to um, express interest, come and see their works, buy their works if artists are doing it for a living, you know. So yes, it is very important and also uh, at the beginning all creative people lack confidence they all doubt is it is it good is it not is, you know am i good at it is it worth you know is anybody interested in this and to have this um uh critical acclaim and to have um big art organizations saying that this is great and to 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 see that people come to my exhibitions and they, they want to commission portraits and they're they're always very interested is very encouraging it makes it worthwhile um, At what point, yeah. when you have done a portrait, do you think, right, that's enough, I don't need to do any more to it? Or are you even, when it's up for exhibition, still looking at it thinking, oh, could have added a little bit more there? <laughs> <laughs> it, it varies. Sometimes uh, the, I feel that the portrait is complete and I can't add anything to make it better. And it's finished and I'm very happy with it and let it go. And sometimes... Um, I call it finished and it's displayed and I, I have this uh, little feeling of dissatisfaction and, and I feel like I, it could have been better but it, I think the problem is probably that is the, the this discrepancy the difference that the, between the picture I have in mind 
which is always uh, extremely high standard and the ability to do something on uh, wrestle something on canvas and with time as I get more experienced I more and more often manage to express my idea exactly how it was in my mind and it's 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 amazing when when what you produce matches your original idea is is a huge satisfaction and uh, so at the beginning it was uh, not happening as often and and uh, it's it's improving but with the time as i progressed with my skill and my career my my standards go up and up and up so <laughs> there's always room to grow i think when artist is completely satisfied is is not a good thing because then you know you, you lose the motivation and uh, if if you realize that you achieved your absolute top uh, limit and uh, you know what, what do you do next with portraiture, Svetlana, do you find, or do you, when you you are portraying somebody on canvas, you're not just simply, you know, sort of giving a, a sort of two dimensional likeness of the person. It seems to me that you're also sort of trying to get across the personality and the character of the person. Do you do you feel like you need to get to know them before you paint them? Absolutely, that's the most important part of the whole process. I never accept commissions um, when people ask me to copy a likeness from a supply photograph. People approach me all the time with that and say. I want a surprise. This is a photo. Can you please copy it and, and do a portrait? I say no. Or I, I had requests like uh, a lady said her children live in Australia. Her grandchildren live in Australia and she wants a portrait of them. And I said, well, when they come to visit you, bring me up and we'll do something with them. But I'm not going to draw them from photographs because uh, the whole point of uh, will be missing you know uh, I, I'm not a copier of photographs if you give me a, an image that is already that already exists you deprive me of the most interesting and most important part of the creative process the setup uh, is when I, I, I look at the person from different angles uh, I find the the angle that I feel is best for them then I adjust the lighting to create a certain pattern of lights and shadows we choose clothes together we look at three four five different outfits and 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 try them try two or three on and 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 see what looks best to create the most interesting composition and so that is the most interesting part of the process that what makes that work mine original because i had all my creative input at the very beginning then i can capture it in a photo and draw, do it from a photo if it's a small child and he or she cannot sit for me or if it's a very busy adult who can only give me a session or two and then they, 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 they have a very busy life. So I, Ideally yeah. then, Svetlana, how long would that process take? Because it sounds incredibly involved. The initial... Uh, we, we have several meetings and uh, uh, it varies. Again, if, if somebody lives far away, we compress it into one long session. If people live locally, they come two, three, four times. The more, the better. I, I welcome live sittings as, as often as uh, people can do. And, and those initial meetings and interaction with people uh, gives me a chance to observe them, how they behave, how they move, how they smile, what they like, what they don't like. And uh, um, I think a portrait artist needs to be a good psychologist and very sensitive and tuned in with people and then be able to bring that into the portrait on, on canvas or on paper and, and that what makes a successful portrait and that's something that cannot be taught it's either there or not I, you can teach a person how to measure proportions to get a good likeness but you cannot teach an artist how to uh, breathe life into the portrait and, and uh, feel the 
mood of their sitter. So uh, that, that, I think that makes a good portrait artist. Now, it's claimed bad behaviour among parents at children's football games could end up with someone being killed. Well, our sports editor, Tim Glover, is with us now. Um, I mean, this seems really, really extreme, Tim, but is this something that you're aware of happening over here? Are pushy parents really uh, pushing things on the touchline? I don't think it's uh, been anything like uh, a cross, and I don't think uh, we've had as much of a problem of late. But yes, I've heard of incidents over here where games have been abandoned because not necessarily the players on the pitch have got uh, out of hand, but the parents on the sideline have. So yes, it does happen. And is it but just... It, but it, the vast majority, it doesn't. Is this just a, a football thing? Because I, I wonder if there's an image that, you know, games like rugby, for example, there's a, a lot more respect. Maybe, are we not seeing that among the, the role models in top football games? Is that the reason? Yes, to a large degree, I would say, and it's something that I've been banging the drum about uh, on our Saturday sports programmes with Tony Mappam and others, that football does need to get its house in order, in my view. Um, the number of times you get uh, people that might be just passing by in a park to watch a game or that is passing through the park and they hear the language coming off a football pitch or from the sidelines on a football pitch. I am known for being... A little bit competitive maybe so I do purposefully try and rein it in because more than anything I don't want to embarrass them. I think the Manx Youth Games are a great vehicle here because across all the sports they do encourage uh, people to enjoy themselves they encourage respect for the officials and that's amongst parents and uh, the kids taking part but I've come across this and I was just looking at the report before I came up and uh, you know you get the usual um, rubbing your hands from the Football Association type comments of uh, incidents like this where targeting of match officials at football games are few and far between. And then you've got Paul Curtin, who's the director of Grassroots Football, uh, says uh, his organisation receives somewhere in the region of 900 reports every weekend from around the UK of it happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is it actually, are we talking fisticuffs here then? Are we actually talking proper full-on fighting on the sidelines? It's, it's happened on, across. We've had uh, cases where, you know, parents come on and punched a referee, you know, <gasps> for what they've done. And, you know, that's just not acceptable. Yeah, um, uh, you do Glad worry. to say I'm not aware of that happening over here. But <laughs> I have known referees lose the, you know, say I'm not carrying on this game. Too much abuse going on. Uh, I've already warned both teams, I've warned parents and they walked off game abandoned any attack on a referee in hockey it's a lifetime ban there's no appeal nothing you're banned for life from the game yeah just thinking um sonny cannon's our guest this afternoon about this notion of the pushy parents obviously in the world of theater it's a very different beast but i mean are there elements of that that you've seen during your time no not not at all really um the the theater world and um I teach at stage one drama school as well. And, um, you know, it's all about being a good sportsman, really, teamwork. And we have auditions there as well We for our pieces that we're performing for exams. Um, and it's all about the support of each other. So it doesn't matter who gets what part, really. It's, it's about who was best for that part. Um, don't, don't you ever get parents who say, well, hang on, I sh- think... Little Johnny should have had the main role here. Why haven't you picked him? Well, I've not come across any of that particularly. Um, there's because they, they try if there's a, a child who's disappointed, then hopefully that parent will then try and help support that mm. child. So the child then learns to ex- cope with disappointment and to 
move on from that. Yeah, you know, try again, again, try again another time. It's not the end of the world. Whereas I think with football, with um, the fact that it's it's there, it's in the moment, isn't it? You've got somebody trying to get a ball past. They might do a foul of some in some way, and the people watching it do feel aggrieved. You know, you could understand that aggrievedness from particularly when it's kids. You've got the parents, but that doesn't excuse bad behaviour. No. <laughs> We've had a text in to say, I live opposite the new school in Onken and the language on weekend mornings from the kids' football from adults and youngsters is horrendous. It's worse than I hear daily on building sites. Yeah, that's the point I'm making. Mm. That's what needs to change. Grab the family, grab a flight and grab a breakaway with CityWing.com, sponsors of younger women today. Have a go. Have some fun and enjoy. I'm Michelle Jameson and this week on our episode four of looking at whether there really is nothing to do on the Isle of Man for young people, we're looking at the Manx Sport and Recreation. I spoke to Kirsty Cooper, Sport Development Officer at MSR, and started off by asking her what exactly is it? Manx Sport and Recreation is is part of the Department of Children and Education and basically it covers the NASC and also the Sports Development Unit. I work for the Sports Development Unit and within that we've helped to provide opportunities from children aged from reception up to year 10. So it's all about encouraging young people from reception and year 10 to get involved in sports and lead an active lifestyle. Yeah, our main aim is to try and provide a pathway for children from that young age. So basically a lot of our activities encourage children to come and have a go, uh, try the sport and learn about it a bit more so that when they hit the age that community clubs take them in training sessions then we can provide that pathway from an activity that we provide into a community club and that hopefully will then go on throughout adulthood and then they can actually come back into the club maybe facilitating some festivals for them doing um, administration post etc so it's just that continuous cycle that we want to provide for children to maintain that healthy lifestyle. And there's a huge range of activities that you provide for young children. Can you explain a few? We have like what we would call our traditional sports. So we always have the likes of football, netball, hockey that you'll find in schools an awful lot as well. But we then we do try to add some variety. So for the likes of the Easter programme coming up, we're actually doing some angling and it's been quite successful. We trialled it a couple of years ago and it's proved really, really successful. So we are trying to obviously keep that in the sessions and we work along with our partners. We've also, um, my colleague Zoe Crow, who is the disability sports development officer, has worked tirelessly to try and obviously include a lot more sports um, that are accessible to children with physical and mental disabilities and she's done sterling work with um, Sailing for the Disabled. So last summer was our first session with them and because of the success of that they've actually offered to put on a lot more sessions this year for us so that will start again at Easter and then obviously through the summer. So it's just trying to get as much activity across the range that every child then has something that they think they, they would like to try. When I was younger I can remember doing things like like a, a racket day 
and and there was loads of different of different sports in one day and as you say it's just such a good taster yeah it is we we still do racket days they are very popular so obviously your racket day would include your badminton short tennis which is played on a badminton size court um because it's more accessible at the minute to use that and also squash and table tennis so we try to give them a taster each day and the children at those schemes would rotate around those four sports so it's a good day for them we also provide multi-sport days um, so it's not sport specific day but children then can come along and tell the coaches what they would like to try so they get sort of ownership of it which helps them get them involved and sort of buy into that sport a bit more if they've picked it and chosen it so we have had things like fencing that we've done and we've also you know um, things like long ball and stuff like that so it's just keeping them active and keeping them involved and enjoy their sport that they want to take part in. And as you said before, it's all about uh, act, being active from a young age and then progressing through. What benefits do you think that, that has for younger, younger ages? It's getting it ingrained into you at a younger age so that when it comes down through, hopefully being active and healthy at a younger age, you're continuing that through to adulthood and that in turn will possibly, I don't like to say it definitely will, but it should obviously help reduce later on in life any illnesses or basically take the impact off the Department of Health and having to provide so many operations for people that are ill or have um, health-related issues. So we are trying to gain that. And it's just better for you because it's sociable. It's, you know, you're learning to work as a group. If it's a group sports, you learn to work on your own. If it's singles, and it's things that you can take actually into your working world. So like employers like to see things that, you know, grip working and can you stand your own. So it's it's quite good that it, it helps out in all varieties um, or sorry, all areas of, you know, your adulthood. And yeah, it's just great. If you were to encourage um, a younger member of the community to get involved, how would you put it? Basically for me, uh, taking part in sport is all about meeting up with my friends, having a good time and the competition at the end is just a bonus. Well, upcycling is hugely popular nowadays, isn't it? You know, made more so with programmes by Kirsty Olsop and, and Sarah Beanie. How good are they at what they do? I mean, do you, do you look to them for inspiration? Uh, I would say no to that, to be <laughs> honest. Uh, I often look at these uh, TV shows and I think that's great that it's, that, it's, that it's inciting people to be creative. But again, it's about time and I think, you know, they spend so little time doing it. I think you need to have to dedicate a lot of time to do it and do it the right way. I suppose as well, like you were saying, when you started, you were doing upcycling, mm. but it's almost like then everyone else has sort of jumped yeah. on that boundary. So do you find that you're always trying to look for the next trend ahead of the trend? Yeah, we, we do. And we also make sure that our techniques are always um, sort of ahead of the game. You know, we don't use chalk paint. We, we go back to the basics and we always look for individual pieces. I, I know a lot of people paint any piece of furniture that comes along, but for us, it's about something that's like a design icon or whatever. So it's about being a little bit more specific about what you choose to paint and Reupholster. You studied interior design, as we mentioned, but how can you learn that? I mean, surely you either you have a, a sense and a flair for it or you don't. Yeah, I mean, I think definitely a lot of people go into it because they have a passion for it. Again, I think most things can be learned. I think there's a lot more people now thinking, oh, it's something I can do. But again, you know, it takes time to get to become an expert on these things and, and hopefully that's what we can offer at Interior Rehab. Lots of people can do it, but we're there to show you hopefully how it's done properly. Do you know, <laughs> I would say there is probably a perception that women in general are quite interested in design. I infer to the fact that I'm really not that into it. You know, we moved house a couple of months ago um, and several of my friends came and said, oh, I bet you can't wait to put your own stamp on this. I bet you can't wait to, you know, get your paint on the walls. I'm like, no, 
I love Magnolia. I love it. <laughs> Is there something wrong with me, Gemma? Well, no, you're just part of the Beige Brigade, Beth, and there's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> say it loud, say it proud, but, you know... You know, there's a lot of people that are not and they love to embrace colour, so. <laughs> Actually, I can bring in one of the 2016 design trends at that point because apparently this year is all about much more colour experimentation and humour. How do you get humour in design? Uh, it's a really good question. Um, I don't know. Maybe paint your dog the same colour as your walls. I'm not entirely <laughs> sure. I think it's about just not being too serious or too formal about it, having more of a casual approach to your interiors now. You know, not, not being, you know, trying to copy design mags and just doing what you feel is right, what you like, what you like to look at. I think that's a bit of a sense of humour about things. And for it, you, you, sorry, for you personally, Jeb, I mean, how much do you keep up with the trends i mean if we walked into your house would we just be totally blown away i say a lot to people i'd like to say yes but actually no it's about time again you know my house is a, you know one of the things i tend to not spend too much time on you know i've got nice pieces of furniture definitely but as far as it being interior design no i just don't have the time but i read a huge amount of design magazines and blogs and i'm always reading so i like to keep abreast so to speak do you ever get design, a, a sort of inspiration for design from unusual places? So like if you, for instance, went for a walk in a forest or something, is there anything when you're out and about that you'd go, oh, actually, I could do something with that? Yeah, I think it's integral. I think you always have to travel. I think you always have to be inspired. And you find inspiration in the most unlikely of places. And that's what really what I really like about design, bringing something abstract into, into everyday life is, is what I like about my job the most, to be honest. So if somebody comes to you then and said, right, I want you to come around, I want you to, to redesign my house, where do you start? Uh, just listening what you want I mean a lot of people think interior designers come in and say right we're going to do this we're going to make this wall yellow and you know uh, no it's about finding out what's what's personal to you and how you like to live so it's a very empathetic approach so listening is the first it's the first place and then seeing what style you like and we go from there so you've been listening to me for about what 40 minutes or so now <laughs> and uh, I just wondered where would you start magnolia walls and we <laughs> work up from there <laughs> ironing board in the corner we're halfway there <laughs> is it ever sort of inspired by the space itself because I presume sometimes you might meet a client sort of out of the space that they're wanting done and you might sort of get an idea from them as a person but then I know you know you'll have been into presumably some very interesting places yeah. whether it's homes or businesses over here do you ever sort of walk into a space and feel something about the space itself and think oh yeah this this needs such and such yeah I think it's impossible to design anything without actually being in the space I mean I, I tend to spend a lot of time and it sounds a bit geeky but on my own in a space for mass to sort of design it you know to get those feelings and that energy and the light and all these things are really important you can meet someone out in a coffee shop you've got no chance of designing the house unless you've been to the space that they're looking to to redesign have you ever done anything that people have really hated, Gemma? I'm sure everything I've done, a lot of people hate. <laughs> Again, the beige brigade, but you know, I think you know if I make people smile or or they laugh or they think, oh, this is unusual, then I'm happy that I've that I've done a good enough job, you know. And is this sort of industry really just for people who've got lots of money to throw away? Absolutely not. You know, a lot of the the design we do is for people who don't have much money, so we set a budget. I mean, that's the thing they think interior designers are cost lots of money, but you know, we set a budget before we do the design, and that's it. You know, so we do a pay-as-you-go design service for people that have domestic interior design and that's really popular so just a little bit of glamour you know for your budget it all, all makes a lot of difference really no sooner do i return to bologna bovio than i am confronted with this deeply distasteful news public display lewd music impropriety holy mother church when i left the isle of man i joined the national youth theater and then was briefly a member with the royal shakespeare company before taking the very typical route of drama school and then 15 years of 
touring the country and the world, fortunately. So it so it did take me round the whole circuit. So what brought you back to the Isle of Man? Do you know, just the opportunity. Um, I d- decided, and well, I suppose my wife and I decided that um, living out of a suitcase was not something that I wanted to do forever um, and that we wanted to make some sort of route. And when I put those feelers out and I decided to move into education, it was one of those wonderfully serendipitous things that the opportunity arose here and we just knew that that was just a done deal and and what a wonderful opportunity it was and how terrific it's been to be back. And so do you think education, because you felt like you wanted to give something back of these wonderful experiences that you'd had? Yeah, I think so, but I I think it lends itself naturally to it. Every teacher would tell you that they're an actor at heart and that you're, you're, you're very much that in front of a class of children it's one of the hardest audiences that you'll that you'll ever have there's no lying in front of the children so what are the ages that you're teaching oh i teach the young and so i teach from four to eleven so i still surprise people by saying well that i did midsummer night's dream with some four-year-olds today and they'll go well that's absolutely bonkers and i say well no of course not as soon as you tell them that there's a character called bottom then you've got them on on your side and they absolutely laugh it up regardless of whether these children are going to go on to become actors Mm. and i'm sure there might be some in there that you're thinking have got great potential Mm. that you're giving them life skills actually aren't you i think that's the big thing and i think that's what i always tell parents what i'm not trying to create is 60 children who are going to leave school intending on being the next benedict cumberbatch i i don't think the industry is large enough for that um but if you create a group of children who are enormously confident in themselves and in expressing themselves and happy to express themselves at ease in front of other people then you've got one of the most important life skills i think you can can have beyond the fact that we're trying to give them as much cultural boundaries as possible so so that's so important and i think dare i say it on on an island that can be quite tricky to to increase that that cultural awareness so so that's that's very much something that i'm incredibly passionate about i think and you've now developed this into not just performance that you would ordinarily expect Mm. maybe on a theater stage but you have been doing your own radio plays one of the lucky things that we have at summer at the bucken is is that we have a great deal of freedom as as teachers so i'm able to go off on my crazy flights of fancy so so i'm able to go do you know what i kind of feel like doing a short film yep yep i'm gonna do a short film let's just go with it and see what happens good morning ladies and gentlemen and welcome to the bucken school it really is the jewel in the crown of the Isle of Man. With my love of radio drama, I, I did a great deal when I was still acting. Some very strange ones. I believe I'm still the the English voice on the Swedish foreign listening exams. So, so lucky me. So there were probably a lot of Swedish children taking the mick out of me in the playground. To have the opportunity to do radio dramas was a huge one. So I was able to go back and go, all right, I'm an absolute nerd for uh, Douglas Adams stuff. Let's just give Hitchhikers a go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams. So I found the original script for the, I think it was 1981, 82, the original script for Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And I tweaked it a little bit, made it maybe a little bit more age appropriate, did a month long project and we recorded it. And at the end of it, they've got their own CD and they've got what sounds to be a fantastic radio recording of Hitchhikers. So lucky me to be able to indulge in that, but enormously fortunate for the children to to be able to have the experience of recording radio drama and, of course, in hindsight, to have the recording itself, which... God willing, in 40 years' time, they'll be able to listen back to and chuckle at how youthful they once sounded. (laughs) Do you think we can trust him? 
Myself, I'd trust him to the ends of the earth. Yes, but how far is that? About 12 minutes away. Come on, I need a drink. And how did they take to hearing their own voices? Because it's one of those things, isn't it, that we all say, you know, oh, I didn't think I sounded like that. How it do is one of those things. It? And it, actually, they, they were very, very gracious. And in, I think the few who enjoyed it most were those few who got distorted into bug-eyed aliens. Or one boy, I believe, I managed to distort his voice to make him sound like a 50-year-old barman with a strong smoking habit. So he was absolutely thrilled to pieces with sounding like that. Six cups of coffee and a beer, and quickly, please. The world's about to end. Oh, yes, madam. Nice weather for it. Going to watch the match this afternoon? No. No point. Foregone conclusion, you reckon, madam? Arsenal going to lose? No, it's just that the world's going to end. The recording sessions were nothing but an absolute hoot, really. So what do you think is the most important thing that they'll take away from this experience? I think the pride that they can actually do it. I, I think when they listen back to it, they're listening to what sounds like an incredibly professional recording and they're able to simply say that wonderful phrase of, I did that. It's a very early show reel. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. They'll probably be sending you endless coffees, no doubt. Drink up, the world's about to end. Oh. Is, is there anywhere that we can hear this? You, did, did you sort of play them out for the families? You absolutely to? can, yeah. I did, I did nice premiere performances of them. But what we're going to do is put the actual recordings up on the Buck and YouTube website for them to see. And they'll also, people who go to that will be able to see and witness the crazy short films that we that we fortunately managed to make as well. Um, so there's plenty of opportunities for them to be heard, yes. And what's the next project? The, the grand project for, for the Leavers, they're doing my own adaptation of Neil Gaiman's Coraline, which is, an, I think, an absolute modern masterpiece. So again, I've been lucky enough to take my fandom and put it into, put it into action. So it's, it's spooky, but it will be wild and crazy and atmospheric and anarchic in all of the best ways that only children know how to do. It's hard work, but I'm fortunate to have fun whilst I'm doing it. Will our heroes survive this terrible ordeal? Can they win through with their integrity unscathed? Can they escape without completely compromising their honour and artistic judgement? Tune in next week for the next exciting instalment of... The Hood Hikers Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, so to dunk or not is the question. I am actually quite pleased that our birthday girl isn't here for this discussion and wasn't uh, ambushing people in the streets with that question today. But uh, let us know. Women today at MaxRadio.com. You can text 166177. Somebody who does have strong thoughts on this is our very own Howard Kane. Now, am I right in saying that you dunk in coffee? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, tea, coffee, it makes no odds, really. I think it's... The biscuit is crucial, and I think you can divide them into various categories. I mean, the, the classic dunk, isn't it? The, the, there's the digestive, there's the, the rich tea, of course, uh, and there's always that timing issue with some of the classics whereby you go beyond that certain point and you end up with a sort of albino snot at the bottom of your mug and you have to eat it with your teaspoon. <laughs> then you, there's the more adventurous dunk with things like a Jaffa cake and your fig Ooh, roll Jaffa and your Garibaldi. Uh, and then again, I haven't done it for years, but as a child, I used to love stirring, uh, using my chocolate finger to stir my mug. Yes, uh, then you, you melt know, the chocolate around off. And the, to, yeah. if you got the timing right, the chocolate would come off and sort of melt into your drink. And then you ended up with a little biscuit in the middle, which is quite nice. But we are missing a trick, I think, with the whole dunking thing, bearing in mind that obesity is so much in the news these days. It's fruit and biscuits, isn't it? Part of the reason everyone's so fat is because we have lots of biscuits. You have biscuits because you have tea and coffee. You can't dunk fruit. 
I mean, I just had an apple with my coffee. It's horrible. It just doesn't work, does it? You can't dunk. The only thing you can vaguely dunk is a banana, and that doesn't really work either. But you try dunking your plums in, in your tea or coffee, it just doesn't work. <laughs> no. But our guest this afternoon has been Lee Brooks, team leader at the Children's Centre Community Farm. And Lee, just to sum up, if you were just to give us a really brief, I don't know, idea of what the farm is all about and who it's for, what would you say? I'd say it's about, it's about connections. It's my honest belief that a relationship with your surroundings and community is 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 vital to to our, all of our health and how we feel and how we treat each other. So it's not just teenagers locked away in with Xboxes. As um, many of us, vegetables are a mystery, or what the birds are up to is a mystery. The constellations in the sky are a bit of a mystery, and the farm is is just one of those places that that brings that basic things like back into people's lives. Well, Lee, thank you so much for being with us. We were talking about uh, your musical uh, side of things at the start of the show. I can't help noticing you've brought in your guitar. Do you fancy playing us out? Um, or, uh, <laughs> yeah, I did bring the guitar. I, I can do that. I love the fact um, when I asked you what the song you were going to be singing was called, um, you said it didn't actually have a name. Um, no, and I, I've only just realised it didn't, but, but there you go. Oh, well, uh, Lee Brooks, thank you so much for being with us. And uh, here is Lee playing a song with no name. Um, so it's a song about being away but, but coming home. When you came down, you foot tapped a rhythm that never made before. It tapped out to me, you won't see a fair face in hers. And I had to agree and That face came familiar As we came to share the years Bound so close By sweet lady times Finding the world My heart was full But I still had to roam the world And go far away See far away things Don't like to take but I took myself away To become better Able to give But it's not like I forgot you I just had all this time away Oh, but I'm ready To admit now I could have stayed it's hard to miss what's so far away When both eyes are on the sun Oh, but I missed all that time with you But I'm home now And this place has got so much to say to me Well, you waved me off With patient grace when the horizon came for me Each of us have some mistakes we need to make But it ain't so bad Following your heart if you can understand its words But truth be told It's hard to know the right thing to do so Can I see this through? Can I give myself to you? Cause I'm wondering, wondering now Won't be long till I'm sharing this song from some far away, far away home. Oh, 
Well, it's not like I forgot you. I just had all this time away. Oh, but I'm ready to admit now I could have stayed. It's hard to miss what's so far away when both eyes are on the sun. Oh, oh, but I missed all that time with you. Thank you so much for downloading the Women's Day podcast. We are on every weekday just after two o'clock on Manx Radio. And if you miss any of the shows and you'd like to catch up, you can do that on demand at manxradio.com. Until next time, goodbye. Don't sit in the slow lane. Join the fast lane right now with Shaw's all-new Superfast Plus Broadband. Enjoy more bandwidth, amazing speeds and the best value on the island from just £23.95 per month. So don't be left behind. Get a piece of the high-speed action with Superfast Plus Broadband from Shaw. For details, visit our stores in Douglas, Ramsey and Port Erin or click shaw.com. Love being Shaw. Terms and conditions apply.